Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, joined by Tim today, and we have a, a pretty interesting uh, debate-style episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the top players by each age group and rank uh, who we would like to build around one through five. And uh, so we both did that, and then we're going to, I guess, debate uh, which would be the optimal one through five rating. Uh, Tim, is that is that correct? We grabbed the top 10 players in our LeBron metric. So looking at impact for each age. And then among those 10, each of us independently ranked our top five. And then after each of us were done, we sent them to each other, put them together. And then from those rankings, kind of like the uh, like AP poll in football, we backed into like a overall uh, like point value for each player. And from that, we have, I guess, a ranking of, of each player by each age, um, at least the, the top five or so. And uh, we're, I mean, we don't have to cover every single, you know, this is, we're gonna not going to debate like the number four player for each age, but we could talk number one, maybe number one and two. And from a framing standpoint, you nailed it. Like we're looking at if you were to build around a player, if you were redrafting today, and we approach this thinking from a neutral situation. So we're not building to fit a specific team style or personnel. This isn't, all right, we know we're the Warriors, so we're going to grab a guy that fits our system. Or it's not, okay, we have Joel Embiid, so we're going to grab a guy that fits around Embiid. We are just like kind of blind to team context, looking at if you could draft someone right now at their current age, contracts don't matter, considering the short and the long term, which players would you be wanting so to So we grabbed the top 10 for each age. Uh, for a couple of the ages, we didn't grab 10 players because there just simply weren't enough guys playing. Like uh, age 20, there wasn't enough. And then uh, there's going to be a part two to this podcast, like age like 37 season. Obviously, there's not 10 guys getting a lot of minutes. <laughs> so it's going to be 10 for, for almost all of them. And then a, a couple of them, there's a smaller pool. So what we decided to do, so we just didn't throw out a million names, is we're only going to talk about the players that received votes from either of us. Uh, and that should help narrow it down and just make it a le- little easier to kind of consume. So let's start with the first one, Tim. Let's start with a uh, ranking of our age 19 players. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you mentioned, some of these groups didn't have 10 full guys because we also limited it to players who played at least 500 minutes or more for, for each age group. Um, so if someone barely played, we don't have much of a sample to work off of. So we, we ignored them. But looking at the 19-year-olds and the ages we're using were the basketball reference season age values, which are how old were you the first day of the season? Um, So today these guys may not be 19, but at the first day of last season, Jonathan Kaminga, Alperin Shangun, Josh Giddy, Moses Moody, and Josh Primo were the uh, five guys that were 19 years old that played 500 or more minutes that each got ranked in the top five for their age group. Um, Moody and Primo were four, five, five, four for each of us. Uh, Josh Giddy was our number one for each. Um, and then we disagreed. I had, uh, you had Shangun two, I had Kaminga two, and then the other three. So any, any thoughts on those five or. or so I feel like really the focus one? here is, so we both think Giddy's number one, just the playmaking out of someone that young. 
uh, is very, very enticing. And I feel like kind of the obvious thing to go to uh, go to Moody and Primo both played under a thousand minutes. I don't have a super strong opinion on either of those players. Uh, they haven't obviously played a lot and they are so young. I feel like the really interesting debate here is Kaminga versus Shangun, because for me, Shangun is a 19 year old had extremely impressive playmaking data, uh, extremely impressive in isolation. And I feel like getting a center with that type of skill set at that age is very, very rare. So for me, the risk is just absolutely worth it with him. Yeah, no, I get that. My worry with him is looking at his play. He's really good in a number of areas, and then he's really bad in a number of other areas. And I think it's you know, I, 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 this one for me was close. It wasn't a super clear, clear one, but from my perspective, I think I'm a little bit worried about Shengun's defense. Um, he's a, you know, he's somewhat mobile as a big, but in an anchor, big defensive role, he's not, he's not really kind of cutting it. Um, he's got a really nice post game. He's get, you know, taking a ton of shots. He's a good offensive rebounder. Um, he's, you know, shooting more, uh, from distance, not impressed. His screening, I'm not impressed as in, you know, just efficiency in general, not fantastic. Um, but he's a good, exciting player. And, and I, I like his game. Like you mentioned, that one-on-one game is is there. And we're seeing him now in, I think it's the Eurobasket um, tournament. Um, he's been he's been shining. He, he pulled out the Dirk fadeaway the other day. Like he's been kicking butt. He's a really good passer. So I totally get him as someone to build around as a post-scorer, post-passer, um, rebounder kind of guy. With Kaminga, I like him as someone who's able to uh, score around the basket. He's very versatile from a role standpoint. He's someone that offensively was in a stretch big role and then defensively was in a helper role. Um, he's drawing a lot of fouls from others, which I thought was interesting. Um, he's also someone that's creating a lot of shots at the rim for himself, which is a good sign for a young player. And he's, his shot making at the rim was an A- minus compared to all players, whereas Shangun's was an F. So that right there, finishing, you know, Shangun's taking a lot of shots around the rim. And when he t- you take a lot, you're going to make a lot. But uh, Kaminga, I think, early on in his career has a bit of an edge there. Um, and then the other area that I thought Kaminga was – a little bit more interesting to me was from a like perimeter shooting standpoint, just his catch and shoot three point shooting was a level above. And I see him as being a guy that like he fits a, you know, young player on a team that wants to be competitive doing, you know, some productive things. And he's got some good baseline skills to grow around um, with already a plus defensive positional versatility. So I like some of the potential on both ends of the court. Whereas with Shangun, Offensively, I think he has a higher ceiling. Defensively, I think he'll always be limited. Yeah, I think that makes sense. With Kaminga, you have a forward with really nice size, really great athleticism. Uh, Getting to the rim, that's something we always talk about, super valuable. But I guess with him, it's like he is limited in what he's doing on the best team in the league, right? With a very good coach who is highlighting Mm -hmm. his strengths trying to hide his weaknesses as much as possible, and then obviously limiting his playing time. And with Shangun, it's the complete opposite, right? It's, okay, you're on basically the worst team in the league. We're just going to throw you out there with a lot of, like, 
other players that we hope develop. But like, as we know, a lot of those players are going to turn out to not be NBA caliber players. So the people he's around are obviously going to make things a little more difficult. But I feel like the three metrics um, that really got me excited about him is his stable points per possession uh, in isolation among uh, rotational bigs was 96 percentile. And that's, I mean, very intriguing. Uh, his on-ball defense for, uh, again, rotational bigs, 89th percentile, which, like you said, not a great rim protector, probably not an anchor big, but maybe in that mobile big slash helper role, um, there could be something there where at least you're not bleeding value on the defensive end. And then uh, lastly, the playmaking. I mean, everyone saw some just like wild, weird passes out of him on Twitter. Uh, but among rotational bigs, again, 98th percentile in playmaking. Um, those are the type of things where, again, we're taking very, very young players. And if we're trying to build around them, I want the guy with the highest possible ceiling. Uh, so Shangun for me, mm-hmm. just makes more sense than Kaminga. Yeah, totally. I, I respect that. Um, it's, you know, depending on how you want to build your team. And, I, and again, we said like neutral context, but... It's easy to be like, okay, I see how this type of player fits into a positive team or how their current environment could suppress, you know, how they're performing. I thought it was interesting taking a look at their overall shot quality for both of them was an A, which I found fascinating because that team context was so different. I think partially that has to do with the fact that Shengun is an interior player and a lot of his shots are around the rim. So naturally the shot quality there will be a little bit higher. Um, just given his shot diet. But I think you make a great point with potential for him. He's a, I think he's 6'10". If he could move to more of a helper or mobile big defensive role and not need to be a defensive anchor, I think that's a way that you can mitigate to some extent uh, some of the things he takes away from you on the defensive end of the court. And then offensively, you can lean into his strengths. With me, the one thing that like, if you could tell me, yes, this will develop for sure, I'm all in, is his touch around the rim. Just with that that rim shot making scares me a little bit. But if that clicks, all of a sudden, he's a really I think also player. another difference between these two guys is so I, it seems like Kaminga could fit on more potential teams, right? Like with Shangun, you're probably going to play mm-hmm. around him with like, a, you know, a post-up player that's going to be at high volume, right? You're going to play around him while Kaminga, you could mm-hmm. play through d- depending on how he develops, or he could be maybe just like an ancillary player. And I feel like that does probably give him a little bit more value uh, than I, I was thinking previously. Um, but yeah, I think, I think all these 19 year olds are, are interesting. I think that's why they're on the list, but, uh, yeah, I think that you got anything else before we move on? No, Did let's, I change let's your move mind? to the 20 year olds. And I, uh, I think I'm going to stand firm in that it's right. a toss up for me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, no, I can see this going either way. I think you, you just about have me there. If you could tell me. His post, like his his post efficiency and his touch around the rim, is gonna see a jump this upcoming year. I think. I mean, like the girls on Tinder, I'll tell you anything you want to hear. (laughs) All right, but Josh Giddy was our number one, unanimous number one among all two voters. Let's let's move to the twenty year olds. All right, you have to name them. Oh yeah, that's right. So among the twenty year olds, so again, looking at the top ten, there were six of them that received a vote from, you know, a ranking one to five. So uh, Evan Mobley, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, uh, Franz Wagner, 
I ranked as my fourth guy. You had him off your list. Scotty Barnes, you had him as fifth on your list. I had him off my list and Cade Cunningham as well. Um, I'm not reading these in any particular order, but the the order that they ended up being in from a voting standpoint was Ant was first, uh, LaMelo second, and then Evan Mobley tied with Cade with our Cunningham for third. And we had a good... With our combined votes, we had a good bit of difference here. Um, we each had a different number one. Do you want to start there? And yeah, then, and so then we can talk the difference the was others. you had LaMelo um, at number one. I had Anthony Edwards. And I guess it's the same thing, actually. It's the same argument as the, the thing we had the 19-year-olds. Because for me, like LaMelo is – actually, I don't even know if – I would say Ant – I would rather have Ant, like literally if it was just a, this isn't what it is, but if it was just a one year, hey, we're going to just do next season, I probably would have Ant. And then the same mm-hmm. thing moving forward, a three-year, a five-year window. Like in my mind, the likelihood of Anthony Edwards becoming a top 10 player is uh, statistically relevant. And I feel like LaMelo cracking into that top 10, it's going to be really hard because like the three point shooting really developed last season. Uh, The playmaking is obviously already top tier, which helps a lot, but him as an isolation scorer, not having super high rim shot creation. I feel like if we're at 20 years old, I already don't want to be like, you know, crossing things off the list. And with Anthony Edwards, I literally, there's literally nothing I'm crossing off that I don't think he can do. I think that's a fair stance. And again, like looking to your point, looking at the roles for these two players. Ant is a shot creator offensively, LaMelo more of a primary ball handler. And the you know, those are both valuable on ball roles. Defensively, though, Ant is a chaser. So he's playing a real job guarding <laughs> off ball, chasing guys around. Um <laughs> LaMelo in a low activity role is certainly it's not that it's not a real job. He's asked to do less. And this is a role as a low low activity guy. We tend to see players who are either really, really poor defensively or carrying a really heavy burden offensively or both um, kind of hidden a bit in that role. And the way – this was a tricky one for me because I had these guys one, two. You had LaMelo third behind another play we'll talk about later. And I think that defense was a big piece of that. For me, Ant's a better scorer. But I think Melo's the better overall player offensively. And they're somewhat similar on defense from an impact standpoint, which is interesting to me because we do see a lot of low activity defenders with really, really poor defensive impact. LaMelo was able to keep his in the same ballpark. There's not a huge difference between where he was, where Cade was, and where Ant was. So I think even though he's not necessarily a plus on that end, he's close enough to neutral that it's, you know, his offense is able to overcome that. And we saw that this year where his overall impact per 100 possessions was higher. And I think we've also seen, I'm going to make the same argument here for him that you made for Shangun. There's more that we could see from him if he's in a better situation. He is, just like you talked about with um, Seth Partnow on on a pod a couple weeks ago, he's missing that rim-running lob threat of a roll-and-cut big. He's stuck with (laughs) a Plumlee. And it's being stuck with a Plumlee isn't the best way to like show off your It's one of the better Plumlees. It's the best If you get him... It's the the last Plumlee standing. Um, <laughs> I yeah, uh, I remember those Plumlee days at Duke. There were like three of them. Of them. Um, <laughs> There's no to way. Say? To know. There's no way to know. Uh, we'll go with that. There were five. There's there was five. Don't don't Google it. Um, but of these players, uh, Lamelo is already top 
of everybody in our three-point shooting talent metric, our playmaking talent metric, our middle game talent metric. Like you mentioned, his rim shot creation isn't quite there yet. And that is an important factor. But to me, that's the only real piece I need to see from him develop for him to really, really take off. I think there's a, a pretty big difference from a playmaking standpoint between him and Ant. And I think that people just haven't quite realized the degree to which Lamelo is a great playmaker, just given his team context. So that's that's why I had him above. But I mean, those are to me these are the, the the clear top two guys. You had someone else at two. Can you explain Evan Mobley as your number two pick? Because I had him for me, the, which as my I, I I I was like, oh Tim Tim hit the wrong button is all I thought at first. Where I was like, there's there's no way at five. Ooh. Oh, you're you're mistaken. Evan Mobley? Well, we're talking about the same Evan Mobley here. We're talking about rolling cut big offensively, anchor big defensively. You know, go grab. You can grab six of those guys <laughs> over at you know the court by my house. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's a really good defender, but like those are more replaceable roles. There's no way to really differentiate as a rolling cut big offensively. And do you think he has the offensive potential? to be able to get his offensive impact to a point where his overall impact is able to be better than a LaMelo ball, who just has a tremendous offensive impact. Cause there's no doubt Mobley is a great defender. I wonder if over time, especially cause it's not just this year, but moving forward with these guys, LaMelo's load and impact is going to continue to increase offensively. I feel like there's almost ceiling to how impactful you can be defensively that on offense, we don't quite see that same ceiling. And that's that Tim, to me. Let was me just first off say I am higher on Evan Mobley than any edible has ever gotten me. All right. Evan Mobley to me <laughs> is Anthony Davis plus I think Anthony Davis, but a better passer. Uh, right now, I'd say his biggest concerns is that he's made oh out of PVC God. pipe um, and he might need to put a little bit of mm. weight on. But I think I mean, he where where was he? I think he had our second or third best D LeBron ever in our database for a rookie. Um, I feel like his versatility is absolutely through the roof. I feel like that role can easily change from anchor big to mobile big in the next few seasons, just depending on how Cleveland wants to deploy him. Yep. Uh, but I'm. And let me interject. You don't have to feel like his defensive versatility is really good. It is really good. He's got an a plus among anchor bigs. He's got an a minus among starting bigs. Like the first, well, thank, is thank there. you. I, I love, uh, I love when you inject to strengthen my argument. Um, I feel like offensively, the reason it's not good is because he's 20 years old, but I felt like all the pieces were there. Like you see the jumper, Tim, have you not been seeing the, the jumper form? Have you not been looking at the Twitter videos of him draining three after three in an empty gym? That obviously means he's going to take a huge jump. It means for every player in the off season that, um, I felt like for him, the thing that really got me excited was the passing um i i just talked to one of the uh we had a Cavs guy on i don't think the episode's released yet but we talked about how jared allen one of his strengths is he's kind of able to like creep in that dunker spot and create windows for people to pass to him and you know and able to finish that and i feel like evan mobley's passing that big to big passing reminds me something of like pal gasol to andrew bynum where when they're doing that at a high level there's just there's literally nothing you can do as a defense to stop that it's it's 
just frankly too difficult. So for Evan Mobley, the defense is already there, right? He had a 2.4 deal upon. That's absurd for a rookie. Uh, and then the offense, all the tools were there. And, you know, it, it was an overall negative uh, for the season. But at 20 years old, I think that jumper, I think the passing, I feel like probably getting a little bit stronger uh, at that size is really going to help. And for me, it's not that I don't, I actually like LaMelo. I think LaMelo has, has a really bright future is probably like a top 20 player. But for me, Evan Mobley and Anthony Edwards seem destined to be top 10 players. Interesting. I would like to point out his shot making overall and at the rim. It's not, not particularly good. He's not a perimeter shooter. There, offensively, there are limitations that you're not quite building from average. You're building from below average currently. Now, he's he's been decent in the post. He's a good passer. That defensive impact, like you said, is really, really good. And he's, you know, one of the best mobile defending, like on-ball defense big guys there is. His rebounding on both ends is not good. That is something that, that matters. Tim, when you're 195 um, pounds and you're 6'11", I, I th- right, it's hard to move people. I suppose so. And also with how versatile he is, he's sometimes out of position to make those kinds of of plays on the on the glass. So I see what you're saying. I think you're swaying me. I think I may I don't know that I'm gonna have him two, but I think I'd end up having him higher than five. But you I really think Franz Wagner is gonna be a well. better so player than Evan Mobley. It's tricky. <laughs> Franz Wagner is a tremendous player. He is he was already okay, he had a positive defensive impact as a wing stopper this year. That's tough. As a That's young tough. young player, as a 20-year-old. That's tough to do. And offensively, so here's here's some of my thinking here. He's already kicking butt and will continue to get better in one of the toughest defensive roles. Um for for his, you know, frame and and what he realistically could play offensively, it's not like he's a stationary shooter or something. He's a secondary ball handler. There is room for growth to get to primary ball handler, but he's already doing some of the stuff, man. He he has the tools. He's a positive on defense and a wing stopper role. That's why I'm intrigued, but I think you might have convinced me to put him below Mobley. But I don't know that I'd have Mobley ahead of Kate Cunningham. Yeah, Kate's someone I am just really not familiar with at all. But I'm like, there's no way he could be better than Evan Mobley. Because unless he's going to be a top 10 player as well. Because like I said, Ant and Evan Mobley, it's it's written in the stars. I think I texted one of my friends, 15 months, Evan Mobley is going to be a top 15 player. 15 months from now. So uh, I am okay, uh, I'm as high as you can be. So the thing, So with Cade, let me fill you in on Cade a little bit. Cade, his three-point shooting is a bit below the other guards and wings on this list. However, he is probably the best on here in terms of creating his own shot at the rim and finishing around the rim. So he is just, he's going to dominate the rim. He's a a fairly large guy. He's good in the second level with with mid-range pull-ups. His floater game could use a little bit of work, but it's all, it's okay. Um, He's a good passer. I think there's room for growth there as well as well, but there's already a, a nice baseline skill set. Um, that's kind of what he is bringing to the table from an impact standpoint. When we look at like his, uh, his defense, cause that matters as well. He was around average um, below Wagner, below Scotty Barnes, the other guy who got a vote below Mobley, but above LaMelo and Ant. He's someone that I see as having the tools and he was used as a wing stopper defensively. So 
being around average as a wing stopper, that's solid for, for someone his age. Primary ball handle on offense. He's got the tools. He just needs to put them together. And that three-point piece is something that I think has a real chance to limit what he can do. Whereas I'm not worried about that with LaMelo. I'm not as worried about that with Ant. I'm not worried about worried about that with Franz Wagner. So that's where I think there's a little bit of separation for me potentially. Although I do have him ahead of, ahead of Wagner. I think if I were to do this again, I'd have LaMelo 1, Ant 2, hmm, Cade 3, Mobley 4. Maybe maybe Mobley 3, Cade 4, uh, Franz Wagner do 5. You, what, what, if you had to put odds on it, what are the odds of, do you think, Cade surpassing LaMelo in that primary ball, ball handler role and becoming more effective? Just as an overall offensive player. I don't see it happening. And they're kind of opposite guys. Like LaMelo's got the better playmaking, better shooting. Um, Cade attacks the rim a bit better. I think that, especially for in a primary ball handler role, the superior shooting and playmaking in a heavy ball screen driven league is going to result in better. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. On to... Defensively, I think there's a case though, you know, you've got two guys on the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they're being asked to do defensively. Not quite opposite because, you know, we've got Scotty Barnes on here as well, but Cade in a wing stopper role versus LaMelo in a low activity role, similar impact, but in much, much different jobs. So that's, that'll be something uh, that- LaMelo is in a low activity role, but uh, I talked about it with, uh, we had a, we did a Hornets pod a little while back and I feel like his passing lane defense, I know it's very good uh, on the site and his instincts for the game is very high. So mm-hmm. I could see him, we don't have a ball hawking role, but if he took, you know, sort of more of a, added a, a gambling aspect to that low activity role. I feel like maybe he could provide some more uh, defensive pop and uh, transition buckets where uh, I, I could see him maybe carving out a unique role where most other teams don't have that, but there's definitely something there. Yeah. I think the, I, I, maybe the role model for him in a low activity role would be someone like Chris Paul, who is pretty effective when he's active in terms of generating turnovers he's a defensive playmaker when when he is engaged um and looking to be active uh and he also rebounds well for for his position um if lamello can conserve energy to carry a heavy load offensively which is what chris paul's been doing and chris paul's aging and you know this is something that was covered on the pod that you did um with mike uh v hill uh, about the suns they're helping preserve chris paul by asking him to do less defensively I think LaMelo can preserve himself, probably still do a little bit more defensively than Chris Paul, but if he can do well for that position rebounding and as a defensive playmaker, that's where I really see him being able to like have outlier impact among players. Also, speaking of low activity role, they should have that at normal jobs, right? Different roles, because I work in Parks and Rec as my day job when I'm not doing basketball (laughs) stuff. And I'll tell you what, that is a low activity role. Uh, I do. Mo- I do. Mm. I did all the prep for this podcast. There. Uh, <laughs> let's move to age uh, our age twenty one year olds. Yeah. So the six players who received votes were uh, so receiving multiple votes were Denny Avdia, uh, Devin Vassell, Tyrese Maxey, and RJ Barrett, and then Bones Highland. You gave a vote. I did not give a vote, and then. Onyeka Okongwu, I think I'm saying that correctly. I had fifth and you had off your board. So those were the six guys that got votes. Our number one player, we both had him number one, was Tyrese Maxey, 
but we did have a lot of difference and also if anyone's wondering normally i host the show and tim gives all the analysis i didn't want to say all the players names because i couldn't say most of the guys names in this uh (laughs) in this age group uh yeah so maxi's obviously the, the one right and i would say one of our biggest disagreements on here is i had i had bones highland at two you had him unranked tim did you see in game four against Golden State, when he hit three threes, the last two being pull-ups in a row to force Golden State to call a timeout? I don't remember that, but <laughs> I believe you that it happened. I, I, the defense. I'm worried about the defense. I like his offense. Electrifying, Tim. Worried about the defense. Electrifying He's offensive a- player. Um, and for me... If you're trying to build a team, right, again, we're going in blind. We don't have the rest of our team picked out. That's that's sort of what we're thinking for each age group is a new team. We don't know what we're, what we're surrounding them with. Bones as a secondary ball handler that I feel like can evolve into a primary, possibly a shot creator. His ceiling, I feel like out of this whole group other than Maxi, I like the most. Uh, he has some playmaking. And uh, while you talk, I'll dig more into his data. Okay, so I like his offense. He is a very negative impact defender in a low activity role. I worry about that. My So that was your number two. My number two is RJ Barrett, and he has a similarly poor defensive LeBron. However, was doing it in a wingstopper role. And he's someone that digging into the data, it's pretty clear to me if the Knicks were to ask him to just do a little bit less on defense, he should have a much better defensive impact. Switch up the role a little bit. Um and he'll be fine offensively. He doesn't quite have everything all together, but he's got some of the tools. And I like him as someone who can handle the ball at the small forward position and give you a little bit of everything. Uh, I don't feel great about <laughs> him. I think there's definitely a case where Bones has the higher offensive ceiling. Um, I don't know, man. I, I think oh, Max is on a tier of his own here for sure. There are other guys that we both of us agreed were number one, but I think this group more so than some of the others. Maxie's yeah, I, I think that guy, I, I totally agree with that. I dug into the bones data, uh, his uh, three point talent, 93rd percentile, uh, good shot creation, good shot, ma- actually elite shot creation, uh, good shot making, uh, playmaking talent of 94th percentile. The volume's a little bit lower, but the quality's quite high. Um, I just feel like Bo- like RJ Barrett to me is just the classic player. He's maybe a little better than, than this the stereotype, but 18 points a game. The efficiency isn't getting you super excited. Uh, the volume for, as a passer is is very low. And it's like, I just don't understand how that's going to turn into anything on a good team. Yeah, so my pitch for him would be he's a good defender or he's a good perimeter defender more so than the data would show. Um, he's t- taken on really, really tough matchups. Some of the areas he has for growth are rotating and like off-ball defense, which sometimes can happen really quickly. Like for Andrew Wiggins, for other guys, it, it doesn't really quite click together. Uh, a big strength of Barrett's is rebounding on both ends of the court and may not show out in the volume numbers all the time, but he, at his size for his position, is doing a really good job there. And his finishing, I think, is a big thing. He draws a lot of fouls. He is a good passer and gets to the room a ton as a driver. Um, he's taking shots that are very hard. His shot making itself is below average, but the A plus rim shot creation that he's able to bring to the table among starting secondary ball handlers or even just starting wings is something that opens up a lot for his teammates. He's one of those guys that like, 
the shot making isn't where you want it to be, but it's not poor enough that I don't believe in it. And the shot creation is so high that I think, you know, he'll be able to be impactful as he continues growing that skill set. It's not going to be something where all of a sudden it clicks into place. He'll still be useful while that skill is catching up. And like you mentioned, or I'm not sure if you mentioned it for him, but his quality on passes and shots created for teammates is an A plus across like every every way I'm cutting the data. Um, good versatility as a passer, good on ball gravity. So I think his three point shot has room for growth. I think his finishing at the rim has room for growth. But there's some baseline here that it makes me optimistic. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel. I I know you got New York guys in your ear too. Uh, RJ Barrett, I will say very good name, but he is topped even in that stat bones Highland. You can't compete with that nickname. Um, One last thing on bones. Yeah. Can I quickly Uh, one last thing on bones? He had a plus one in O'Lebron as a rookie. And that was a top 10 ever in our database for, uh, for rookies. So there, not only is it like, is he an exciting player where you see him hit three threes in a playoff game, Force team to call timeout. It's electric in uh, in Denver. You can hear the crowds cheering all the way in San Diego. I, that is great. But also the data backs it up that just from an impact standpoint, he's top 10 as a rookie. And I feel like that's something you can really hang your hat on. Yeah, that's a really good building block. I think I might be a little bit too low on him. Um, his issue is going to be his offensive impact won't get to the point where overall he's kind of above some of these other guys until he's able to get to a primary ball handler role. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that in Denver with them building the offense the way they have around Nikola Jokic with Jamal Murray coming back. So I think his, in real life, his environment is probably going to hold him down a bit. Um, not that it's a bad place to be. It's a great place to be, but he's he won't be able to sh- uh, shoulder enough of the burden that his offensive impact could be its potential. And I think in this exercise, he's a great pick because we're talking neutral environment. So you can make him a primary ball handler theoretically. And then all of a sudden we see that impact jump even more than that top 10 uh, Uh, rookie value like you just mentioned. Last note I want to make here, the other three guys are more off-ball players. So Okongwu, Roland Cut Big, Anchor Big are his roles. Uh, Denny Avdia, stationary shooter offensively and a wing stopper defensively. He's a very good wing stopper. He's not in a great situation, um, but you know he's, he's doing well. And then Devin Vassell is currently the most impactful chaser in the NBA right now on defense, offensively a movement shooter. Those are all guys that are ancillary players. And we're going to need to see some big talent jumps for them to suddenly become more on ball players. And for that reason, I think you have to put all three of them below the the other three guys that we talked about with Barrett, Maxi, and Barrett, yeah, Maxi. The guy's name I don't know how to say. That's the center on the Hawks. Caught some lobs in a Twitter uh, video I saw that was uh, kind of exciting. And then the guy's name I don't know how to say on the Wizards that uh, is good at defense. I saw another montage of him on Twitter just <laughs> deing people up. That was exciting. And then uh, Devin Vassell, mm-hmm. I had to put in the. Uh, all defensive uh, graphic for our uh, defensive roles. So that's my scouting report on those three guys. Yeah, there you go. All right, ready to uh, move to the 22-year-olds. And maybe we'll, we'll do what the uh, Mets radio broadcast does where they, they'll switch between the play-by-play <laughs> and the analyst every couple innings. 
I'm going to turn it over now I to can, Taylor to pronounce the these names that he should uh, know. All right. So H22 players, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Darius Garland, Wendell Carter Jr., Jordan Poole, and Tyrese Halliburton. Tim, do people ever ask you, because they know you like do podcasts, do they ask you to do your broadcasting voice? No, I don't think I have as good of a broadcasting voice as you do, but I've certainly, I've been a guest on pods where I bring that broadcasting <laughs> voice in and it's a lot of fun to do, but it's just not the way I generally uh, talk. When so I, I was working I at a pro football focus, I was out in Ohio and I was in, it was cool. It was an old building that uh, the studio was really small and the, the whole offices were there, but the studio was an old bank vault. So I worked in this bank vault alone uh, and there was the cameras and everything there, which is kind of cool. And so randomly people would just walk in behind me and start talking to me. And, you know, sometimes it was my boss or just an employee or whatever. So uh, Chris Collinsworth bought the company, right? So he walks in and I hear his voice and it doesn't quite like register in my head, like what's going on. But, you know, you know the voice, you've heard it enough. And then I hear another voice and I'm like, mm -hmm. wait, I've heard that voice on TV a million times too. And I spin around in my office chair and Mike Tarico and Chris Collinsworth are standing there. And he, I guess Tarico is probably in town for like a, a, a national televised game. And he was just showing him around the office. And as someone I've been in broadcasting since I was like 20, I, I did not know what to say. And it was a very awkward exchange where I was just like, oh, good. Nice. To, good to see you guys. And uh, they, were, they were very nice. But just their just their voices when they walked <laughs> in behind me, I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, so that's my broadcasting voice story. People ask me all the time. And I'm always like, it's just this voice. So it doesn't change. I mean, sometimes, you know, you slow mm -hmm. it down, you add a little treble, you add a little bass to it when you want to emphasize a point. But for most most of the time, it's it's just it's the same voice. Yeah, you got a good voice for it. So uh, <laughs> getting to 22 year olds. <laughs> um, we both agreed yeah. here that John Morant's our top guy. And I think he will. I mean, like. I don't think too many people listening to this are going to disagree with us on that one. The guy that we had second is Darius Garland. He is a very talented player that I'm very excited to see this upcoming year on what should be a very competitive team. He, this most recent season, put up the 13th highest uh, playmaking talent rating of all 4,605 players in our database uh, for... This most recent season, he ranks fourth behind Trey Young, Luka Doncic, and Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Um, as a 22-year-old, that's incredible. They're only the only guys who have done better than him at that age or younger are Trey <laughs> Young and Trey Young. So he's got the passing, dude. He's got the passing, point of attack defender. So he's you know playing a, a role defensively, and he's been a positive there. Offensive impact is strong. He's a talented dude at, a, at the point guard position as a primary ball handler that I think can play well on or off ball. I'm into it. But yeah, like, Jaw's the, the guy, guy but right? Garland is a really, really exciting player. Um, I, I, when I saw him play, I was just... I was really blown away by his skill level. I feel like his his handle is unbelievably tight. And he's basically at the point now where he just discards the defender in front of him. It, that person doesn't really matter. And he's able to keep a live dribble at that second level, which I feel like helps create so much and put so much stress on defenses. 
Um, he has the playmaking grade. He has the three point shooting talent grade. I feel like he has everything you would want. Like if you were building a 2K player and you had like unlimited stat points pretty much to put into the categories you wanted, you would just max out the things he is already good at. So while John Morant is insane, has an mm-hmm. explosiveness going to the rim that is Derek Rose like, I feel like Garland as that second guy in this list is is just absolutely fantastic and a, a really great uh, young building block in the league. Yeah, if I am to nitpick, the one area that I would like to see him develop a bit more is his rim shot creation. It's already good. It's not like it's bad. It's good already. B plus compared to starting primary ball handlers. That's not a, you know, that's a pretty high bar to set. B plus. If he can get that to like an A this upcoming season, whew, he's going to be fun. He's gonna, he's really good. And I think we've also now reached the point on, you know, going through this podcast where we've gone from very exciting, like these guys will be really good to we're now at the point where some of these guys are already very, very good. Um, it's not like, like looking at Maxi, like his overall impact isn't fantastic, but the skills are there. We're now at a point where all five of the dudes that got votes here are highly impactful players. And we've seen a lot of them do it in like high stake winning environments. Um, and I'm excited to see Garland join that group. The guy, so we were John Morant, number one, Garland, number two, number three, I want to give a shout out here, Jaron Jackson Jr. He's someone that I think has the potential to be a defensive player of the year or an all uh, first team, all defense. His thing <laughs> is he needs to stop fouling as much as he has. Um but that's that's really like do what you're doing, just foul a little bit less, and you'll be able to play a little bit more minutes, and then just you know you're good. <laughs> um, offensively, still has some work to do, but he's already a positive player in a stretch big role. That is a like while still developing, that is a good role to be able to just kind of do on the side while Jaw is able to go to work, um, and some of the other guys are able to go to work. You're not a problem for the offense as you're still developing. I still believe in his offense. I think it's going to grow a bit. He's putting some more mass on his body. He's becoming better around the rim. Um, but he's another dude on here that like in three or four years, like he could be one of the best players in the NBA. Yeah. I, uh, going back, I don't know if I've told the story already on the pod, but, uh, I was interested. Obviously, the Grizzlies were having such a fantastic year where I was like, all right, I need to sit down and watch a few of their games, like really get a feel for everything that's going on here and maybe some of the players that are lesser known, right? And so I sit down and I start watching and Jaron Jackson Jr. has five blocks with like seven minutes left in the second quarter. And uh, I learned what anchor biasing Mm. is because of this, but um, I'm never going to be able to unsee that as my first impression. Uh, so the sky is really the limit for him. And I feel like he's so athletic, uh, the switchability, uh, on defense, I think is there as well. And then on offense, uh, I feel like one of the big things with bigs is they develop a three point shot while they're in the league and, you know, they, they slowly take more and more and more. And I feel like with him, he doesn't have a problem just letting it loose from three point, like taking like six, seven in a game. And I feel like that's really important because he's only 22 and the uh, the percentage really wasn't there this year. But as a 22 year old big man, like you have plenty of time for that to develop and that you are willing to shoot them, I feel like is an important thing mentally. So for him, I just he's going to be on a lot of lists we make uh, going forward in the future. 
Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. So we were one through three, same uh, for these guys. Um, Wendell Carter Jr., promising player, very good drop big. He's a good rebounder. Um, he's got some playmaking juice. I need to see his finishing get better. I need to see his perimeter shooting develop. Those are the things for him that are going to bring him from slightly below average old LeBron to being, you know, trying to bolster himself and like try to get in the same conversation as some of these other guys. He's already a good defender. Um, we just need that need to see that offensive game grow. On the kind of opposite end of the spectrum, we have uh, Jordan Poole, who is a very good offensive player. He's in a very good situation, but primary ball handler. It's not like he's only operating off ball. He's taken a big jump, and he's an exciting young guy. He's someone that is kind of he's going to be screwing up our um, forecast for next year for teams because he went from like minus one and a half or so LeBron for a couple seasons to like plus one and a half this this year. Um, so he's like, you know, looking at history, not just looking at a single year sample, projecting the next year, it's not going to be as high as this. And that worries the hell out of me. Um, and, and I don't know that the math <laughs> is ready for the kind of jump he took recently. Um, but it's exciting. It's, it truly was a big jump. So he, he went from exciting to like, oh shit, like he's contributing to a title team. Um, defensively low activity role. I think uh, he's a little bit higher than he potentially could be on some other teams here. I think the Warriors system helps hide what he's limited in a bit there defensively. Um, and then the last guy, you did not have ranked. I had him as my number four, Tyrese Halliburton. And I think he's going to be a fun guy to see play with uh, Miles Turner this upcoming year, um, Buddy Heal this upcoming year. Get him a slightly slightly easier role on defense, and we'll see his impact rise. I don't know if we're going to see that um, with Buddy Heald over there, uh, but he's someone that is is fun. He is very ready. He's graduated. He's ready to get out of the stationary shooter offensive role. He's ready to take on a secondary or primary ball handler offensive role because he so is So just another for clarification, well. just if you're scoring at home, I had Wendell Carter as my five. Tim did not give him a vote. And then he had Tyrese Halliburton as his four, and I did not give him a vote. And then we were split on Jordan Poole on four or five. Um, okay, so here's my thing with Wendell Carter Jr., right? When there's a big guy at that size that has he has some mobility that's always intriguing for me he also has very cool sports glasses and i feel like that helps him uh, in my mind have a little bit of swagger uh but the d lebron's already there so it was plus two last season um at that size as an anchor big he is affecting games on defense again neutral on offense and he's sort of like evan mobley where you've seen him do a little bit of everything and it's it's okay he's not great at a lot of things but you know you see plays and you're like all right i understand what people see here right and then i don't know what he's listed at but he looks like he's like maybe 260 uh and at 22 years old i feel like someone it's like a little bit of obviously i'm not comparing him to Shaq, but it's just sort of that thing when you're that big uh and you're that tall and you can move you have some wiggle to you that always interests me and then there's some skill because i mean he does stretch it out shoot the three a little bit um to me that's very intriguing okay so my thing with Tyrese Halliburton I feel like everybody's just falling in love with him right oh he can pass he can shoot threes that's all we care about in modern day game uh my thing with him is he's he's kind of small he's 6'5 he's pretty skinny um to me he's a lot like Tyler Hero right they can score they can, a little bit they can shoot well uh but the difference is uh, where Tyler Hero would put his head down and maybe get one foot in the paint and have to shoot a floater. 
uh, when Tyrese does go to score, it's the same thing. Both of them, their rim shot creation is pretty poor. Uh, instead of him just forcing up shots constantly, he has the vision to find people. And his vision is impressive uh, at times. Uh, but to me, he is just a better outcome of Tyler Hero. They're similar size. Uh, they have similar profiles and in, in the things they do in mm-hmm. certain ways. And I just... I think he's going to be a good player. I just, I can't in my imagination see him being a great player. I can understand that. His uh, passing versatility metric performance speaks to that concern you were talking about. Compared to starting guards this year, it was an F. He's not seeing and reading the floor and making complex passes to the degree that you're like, okay, this guy is ready to run a bunch of ball screens, you know, read a bunch of different coverages and spray. The oh, for me, the I actually, and, I, know, I agree with everybody. the, 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 the larger more point, of, but I think the reason he doesn't do it is because he's not very big and he's not super athletic. So he can't create the windows to do. I actually think his vision's quite good, mm. but like he just literally, it's sort of like a, uh, the concerns with Drew Brees when he was younger, where it's like, how's he going to make the windows to make it happen? And maybe he turns out to be Drew Brees and he can figure it out. But uh, I, I feel like there's limitations where it's like, I don't know how he's going to improve those things. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. I, I would have to imagine we're going to see a role change for him, but he's going from being an overperformer in a less ta- not taxing. That's not the right word, but a uh, a lower bar, I should say. The bar is going to be raised, even if he if he looks to become a secondary ball handler. His rim shot creation compared to starting secondary ball handlers would have been a D this past year. It was a B compared to stationary shooters. So he was a plus guy in an off-ball role. If we suddenly put him more in an on-ball role, does the finishing element hold up? Is he able to create enough advantage to you know collapse the defense and then find guys? And then when that does happen, to your point, whether it be a size or athleticism limitation from a passing versatility standpoint, is he able to make the right plays? That is going to be a big uh, question mark for Indiana this upcoming season. I think it would be a big question mark if you were to pl- you know, take him from here, throw him in a neutral environment. And until he answers that, I, I think it it's, makes sense to doubt exactly what his ceiling might be. Because those are two big areas for a, a guard. And then that I'm not sure about this, but this is me maybe just fishing here. As a stationary shooter, right, you're going to attack off the catch and you're going to have people closing out, which could possibly help boost that rim shot creation. I don't know. But uh, hard to say, just just guessing. But mm-hmm. uh, another thing that sort of concerned me, that's more of an anecdote thing, is I was watching his uh, his play and he was like every once in a while getting a foot in the paint, almost never with a live dribble, right? Had to go to the floater a lot or just the kick out. Uh, and one time he did, you know, def- caught the defense mm-hmm. asleep, uh, attacked the weak side and uh, went for a dunk and let out one of those like small guy, little lion roar thing. Like, you know, the the guards that never dunk the ball. So when they do, they make sure everybody sees it. Uh, and that for me, I'm like, uh, that might mean you're <laughs> uh-huh. not doing this a whole lot. Yeah, that's understandable. We'll see TBD on him. Uh, another if he were like a year or two younger he'd be higher up on the list, but I, I get why compared to the group he's compared to here, he's off your top five and he's man, he's right there with kind of pool in that bottom of my top five as well. So with this age group, we've got a couple studs at the top, a dude in Jaron Jackson, Jaron Jackson Jr. That's already a very, very good defender that has offensive potential that can really bring him over the top. 
uh, several guys that are already very, very exciting, have some defensive questions or maybe have some offensive questions, but are already positive contributors in the league with upside. This is a really solid group of 22-year-olds. Um, let's you know, move over to the 23-year-olds and really get into some of the studs. Uh, one last thing with Jordan Poole. We had him in the low activity role. And I feel like if you were to, we've talked about it, not the greatest defender, right? Uh, I feel like it's key for him to be there because uh, the more you can keep him off ball, right? Uh, the more he can talk to the honeys in the front row. And I feel like that has a direct impact on his O LeBron. So I think that's very really important. That's to I, Taylor. I told you not to share that, you know, confidential research that we were working on. The, uh, the strong <laughs> correlation there. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> some certainly fun players. Um, interesting guys. Let's let's move to the 23-year-olds. I see here, for one of these players, you put a question mark rather than uh, a number. So I'm, I'm interested to hear your explanation, but I will let you intro the group. Yeah, I had the question mark on Herb Jones because uh, – so when I was making the the ratings, I would just put a question mark if I wasn't sure on a guy. And I was also worried that I might get fired from Basketball Index if I didn't have him in the top five. So uh, I thought I would just put something there just in case. Yeah, that's a smart career choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do we list it off? So for age 23, uh, we got Luca, Trey Young, Jared Allen, uh, Shea Gildress-Alexander, Herb Jones, and Desmond Bain. Uh, the, the, what's interesting here, I had a vote for Jared Allen at number four. You did not have him on there. Uh, and I, I swapped him out. I didn't put Herb Jones on there and you had him at five. So for making the cut, uh, what, what was your thinking there on having Herb over Jared Allen? I think the fact that Herb Jones is doing what he's doing defensively in the, like as a wing stopper, having a plus 2.21 D LeBron at 23 years old is bananas. We you don't see that. That is not a thing that happens. He is putting up like historic numbers and I think certainly has room for growth offensively as an athletic finisher. Um Jared Allen similarly high, just about the same defensive impact that our offensive impact right now and is a very good roll and cut big, a very good anchor big. Um I man See, this to me was more buying into Herb Jones being able to improve more offensively than I think Jared Allen has uh, room for growth. And maybe this is just me hating rolling cut bigs. Do you, do you see Allen having that offensive upside to, to you know break into more of an on-ball role? You do hate rolling cut bigs, but also they probably are the most replaceable uh, offensive role probably in the league. Uh, I don't think his upside on offense is really anything that that is very great but i feel like his skill set is what's super important i feel like he's probably the best player in the uh dunker spot slash on the roll catching lobs finishing around the basket uh, i feel like so often we're just looking for tall people with vertical leap with maybe large hands right there's like a very scouting side to that but i feel like jared allen's positioning in those things which is one of those things where it's not like i can sit there and tell you every single player ranked and what their positioning mm -hmm. is in those roles but when you see a guy get free as often as he does and it is a you know you do need a dance partner to do it right he does have garland but if we're talking about players in their 
hopefully if you're if you're picking them you're putting them in their ideal role i think he is literally the best rolling cut big in the league and i feel like there is value in players that are very very good at their skill yeah i think that's fair he's already a very good finisher it's i'll say this it's not all that difficult to put up a good field goal percentage on a plus shot quality however he's all you know he's he's overperforming expectations still there are guys who have good shot quality that just kind of give you what you'd expect or underperform. He's going above and beyond. So he's a really strong finisher. It's not just that he's getting easy shots. So that's a good call out. I guess for me, my concern is I don't see any shot creation. And I don't no. know. Yeah, there's not. There's I don't not. know exactly where that comes from. One tidbit that I just saw that maybe is interesting to me is that he has a little... Wait, where is, where's the data? Um, His... Gosh, his mid-range, where's the mid-range area? Where's our one-on-one section? Um, here it is. His mid-range pull-up talent is a C plus, which I see a sign of life there. If he can extend his range, you know, if he could be good at that and then extend that. His mid-range pull you what you want Jared Allen taking pull-up mid-range. Hey, I'm not saying I want it. I'm saying it's a sign of life. <laughs> um I, I if I'm looking <laughs> for like where where is he giving me on ball attacking? He's not a high post-up frequency guy. He's not a great post-passer. His screening talent is poor. Um, he's not shooting from the perimeter. He like I If I'm looking for where that next step is for him, other than just like keep being good at what you're doing, I, I think he certainly needs to be a better screener than he has been so far. I think he has some room for growth as a rebounder as well, but he's already pretty darn good there. Um Maybe he's able to add a mid-range game and then maybe that extends to three-point game if we're looking down the road. That's That to me is is the uh, potential hope for him. I guess for me is what he's doing is fine because I feel like for me, he's one of the best off-ball players in the league. He's also a, a really good offensive rebounder. I think he was top 10 in our uh, offensive rebounding metrics this year. Um, for me... I don't need him to be any better. He was a six win player in our LeBron war. Uh, if you look at a guy like Bam, same thing, six win player. Uh, they do it a little bit differently, but similar impact on offense, similar impact on defense. Um, and if you're getting a Bam Jarrett level uh, impact out of your center, I feel like those are legitimate building blocks to a championship team. Uh, so I, that's the thing with Jarrett is I don't need him to improve at all. If he can just stay mm-hmm. steady and maybe, you know, maybe just make some small gains here or there, maybe free throw percentage, something like that, uh, and continue to go on in his career. I'm very happy with that with Herb Jones, phenomenal wing stopper defensively, like really, really next level stuff. But offensively, um, I'm not saying it can't happen, but whenever there isn't a super clear path, um, I always am a little hesitant because I just don't know what that will look like. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair concern. And the one part of his game, because he has similar concerns from a like jump shooting standpoint, not a bunch there. Um, his finishing at the rim is under, you know, he's underperforming 25th percentile compared to starting wings. His rim shot creation is in the 62nd percentile among starting wings. And that to me, potentially, you know, that intrigues me. I I think that can be something to build from. It's not like he can't do anything offensively. We're not talking about um, like a Jared Vanderbilt type or somebody like that. He is a very, very impactful defensive player that has some room for growth. And it's just about, you know, what more can you squeeze out of each of these two guys? But I don't know. We have them ranked similarly. I understand why. Um, But man, 
how do you not have Desmond Bain above Jared Allen? That was really hard. That was one of the ones I went back and forth on. So so to just clarify for everybody, we had Luca, we both had at one, Trey Young, we both had at two, uh, SGA, we had at three, and then when we split. So Desmond Bain, I had at five, and Jared Allen at four, Tim had Bain at four. That was a really tough one because Bain is coming off a year where he shot the daylights out of the ball. Like it was a really, really impressive three-point shooting season. Also a strong defender. Um, also just, he, he, he looks like he's the, uh, the brother of, uh, Grant Williams. I've never seen two guys that are that yoked in the league. (laughs) It's because they're huge. Um, but one of the things that capped me a little bit, I think he is a, a fantastic building block, but for me, the three point shooting is there, but everything else on offense, when I watched him, it was a lot of attacking closeouts to get by his defender and then a lot of like sort of getting stuck in the in-between possibly because he was weighed down by all that bulk um but it was hard for him i felt like to get to the rim and finish there it was uh an interesting assortment of shots and i I felt like he was pretty good them floaters kind of pull-ups things like that but uh, I just feel like Jared Allen is the here and now value that I want where I'm like, Jared Allen can be your starting center on a championship team is like your if he's your fourth best player, that team's probably going to win the championship in my eyes. And Desmond Bain is someone where I'm like, I, I like this guy. He is a very good offensive player. But what is it going to be? He's 23 right now. I'm not saying it can't be great at 26. I just uh, I'm not sure what it will be. He's one of the guys. He's one of the, I'd say one of the few players, if I were to pick players currently in off-ball guard or wing roles that I think have the potential to, in a two, three years, really grow into a strong off-ball uh, position and, and have great production there, but currently is like among the elites as an off-ball player. He's in that list. Um, great, you know, solid wing stopper. Defensive impact is good. It could be better uh, it, for, in terms of defending the interior rebounding he's got some room for growth there but he's a really strong perimeter defender and is currently you know he's not taking easy shots he's got a d plus overall shot quality compared to starting wings it's not like he's he's just being handed buckets he's someone that is creating and scoring well um for himself some of it is off of you know good advantages created by others but i think i think we might be underrating him a little bit now he has room to grow as a playmaker currently. He's okay. He could be better. I, lot of, I see a lot of C's and low B's. I want to see B's and A's instead. Um, in terms of his one-on-one game, he has a nice floater game. His mid-range pull-up is fine. Uh, he does not isolate often at all. F grade in total isolations per 75 possessions. But when he has, he's done really well. A efficiency, um, B minus one-on-one talent, that'll go up as his volume goes up and the math buys into it a little bit more. I think he's ready to be asked to do more. I just don't know that in his current situation, that's necessary. And in this neutral context environment, he's someone that I just kind of like Bones Highland, he on a neutral team probably would be asked to do a little bit more. And I think that would play more into the talent is there. The opportunity hasn't been um, because he's a good finisher at the rim. His, his uh, rim shot creations around average for a wing. That's an area for growth, but he's a very, very good shooter and he could do some of that on-ball stuff. And I just, I'm buying and I think in two years, 
he probably is better at some of these things and, and really pops off the screen. Yeah, I think Bain above Jared Allen, I can't really argue against it, right? Like, what's the thing in football? You have to overturn the play mm-hmm. in uh, on review. Like, if they if I had listed him the other way, right? Like I was thinking about doing, I don't know if you could really convince me to move Allen ahead of Bain. Uh, I think from an upside standpoint, you're totally right. It, it's definitely him. Um, and that three-point shooting is pretty juicy. So that's a hard thing to say no to. But uh, yeah, I think that will do it for our uh, initial recap. This might actually be a three-parter now that we, <laughs> we've seen how long it takes to actually get through all these players. But uh, that's through age 23. Uh, again, we're doing a top player by age, me and Tim, uh, seeing if we can uh, cause a rift in our relationship by doing this. Uh, we will see you on the next episode. Uh, I think that will be Monday. Should I look at the schedule with the podcast is gonna be uh never mind sound off this in the comments preview. about how poor taylor's picks were make sure to <laughs> <laughs> let, let, don't forget to smash that like button also <laughs> let us know what we did wrong um <laughs> uh but again you could no 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 no. we've talked about this you criticize tim all you want he has thick skin i got thin skin like a snake all right i cannot take any criticism okay so put that all tim's way um but yeah that will do it for us Uh, my name is taylor uh joined by tim and we'll see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast